Uh, well, uh, I don't know. Uh, I had a hard time finding some pants that fit today, so I'm going to have to do something about that probably in the new year. Kind of getting everything closed up was a difficult challenge, so I'll just ask Lisa not to wash these for like two months, and they'll be fine, right? So I'll just be able to always fit. But anyway, that's personal and... Well, that's my story. So I recognize many of you are visiting, maybe from out of town. Some of you may be visiting for the first time, or maybe you've even forgotten kind of what we've been covering. So this is the last installment of this series. And uh, I've actually been, been so excited about this installment, actually, since the series began. And so let me do a quick review just by catching you up on a couple of big phrases, and then I'll share with you where we're headed today. Here's the, the first kind of big statement we started with, and it was this, that God chooses people that we wouldn't choose to do things that we never thought possible in ways that we have never considered. And that's a pretty big statement because when we think of people we wouldn't choose, perhaps for some of us, the person that we wouldn't choose the most is the person we're looking at in the mirror. When we think about what God might be calling us to do or what God might be putting on our hearts and we look at ourselves in the mirror and think, there's just no way the problem that we face in the mirror is that we don't keep secrets from ourselves. We all know what we're looking at in the mirror. There's no hidden items there. So I can fool all you people, but when I stand in front of that mirror, there's no secrets, there's no facade, there's no image. We sort of see ourselves in our raw glory, or what I would call our raw unglory, if you will. That's kind of the real deal right there in that moment. And we, many of us stand in front of that mirror, and the memories come come clouding in you maybe what happened last year or maybe what happened when you were a kid or maybe what happened last month or you know last night and we remember these things maybe we remember our childhood or some season of struggle or trial in our lives and our conclusion is this well God will never use me God could never use me because I struggle with fill in the blank God will never use me because I have struggled with fill in the blank God will never use me because this fill in the blank happened to me and if, that, if that's you, and you kind of battle those thoughts, or maybe there's something in you that identifies with what I'm saying, let me encourage you with just this simple statement. Don't say no for God. If God's not going to use me, well, let him make that call, but I'm not going to say no for him. You know, that's not my role. That's above my pay grade. So don't say no to God. And the Christmas story is this reminder that God chooses people that maybe many of us wouldn't choose if we were selecting sides on a playground. He uses people that we wouldn't choose to do things that we never thought possible. If you and I were to get together in a room and plan a strategy to save the world, this would not be the plan. Fair? This isn't what we would come up with. If we put the best and the brightest in the room that we have, like the coaching staff at Clemson. If we put all them in the room, you know, that we have and said, what's the, what's the best way? They wouldn't come up with this plan. And that's because of this world reality, this personal reality that God chooses people we wouldn't choose to do things that we never thought possible in ways we've never considered. And guess what? That's not just true for Christmas. That's true for today. That's true for what you're working on right now. That's true. And that encourages my heart. The other big idea we've been driving kind of home in this Broken Halo series is this. This Christmas story, it's not from like a bunch of things we can't relate to. It's actually right up in our laps because the Christmas story is one of real people who had real lives. And they faced real events just like everybody here, everybody at Pleasant View, everybody in chapel, that sometimes got real weird and produced real fears in a very real scripture. 
So when we hear this Christmas story, there's this temptation to think we're, we're not talking about real people. It's like a combination of Mother Goose and Jesus, and we sort of put them in that category. We're talking about Bible people. We tend to put them in the other category. And we think Bible people were different than we are. But that's not the case. They lived their lives like we do. <laughs> they thought that today is going to be like yesterday and tomorrow is going to be like today, but then everything gets interrupted. And most of us can relate to a scenario where everything got interrupted. Most of us can relate to that, like the Christmas story, when our ordinary lives, our ordinary schedule got interrupted. An accident, an incident, a diagnosis, a termination, a char- change in a relationship, an ordinary was interrupted. And from this point on, nothing will ever be the same. And when the ordinary is interrupted... We, we all ask the same question, at least some version of it. And it's not just us. Actually, the, the people in the Christmas story asked the same question too. And it was this, how, how could it be? Or, or my, how did this happen? How did this happen? How did my ordinary get interrupted? And if it's you know, physical, what did my body do? Or what's happening in here? Or if it's relational, what did I do to hurt that relationship? Or to cause that struggle? Or to, what can I do to fix this tension kind of thing? What did I do wrong? And in these circumstances, it's pretty common to pray something like this. You know, God, are you there? Or God, are you good? And I, I, don't, I don't judge you for praying that prayer. And, and I hope you wouldn't judge me for it. Because I certainly do pray it. God, are you there? And God, are you good? Now, now I, I interact with a lot of people, and often at points of crisis in their lives. And when our ordinary is interrupted, it seems like we default to one of two responses. When, in other words, when I'm sitting down with someone and there's this moment where they say, Tom, this went on, and like it's how did this happen moment. It seems like there's one of two responses that are common no matter where the people come from. See if you agree with what I'm saying. (laughs) The first response is when people respond in fear. And they'll come and say, Tom, this happened. How did this happen? And then they'll fret and worry about what will happen, what the outcome will be, what other people will think, how much pain this will cause. And and I'm, I'm really good at this one. I, I, can, I can play out lines of fear a long way, and I, I've, I've got a creative mind, so it goes 1,400 different directions. And, but some people don't respond in fear, and it's rare, but some people don't immediately respond in fear when their ordinary is interrupted. They actually respond more in faith. And they answer the question, God, are you there? That answer has to do with where they're putting hope, their, their hope. They have this hope that God cares for them. They have this hope that God hasn't forgotten them. This hope that they're not alone with whatever they're going through. And the hope that God hasn't given up on me. And and when I'm in a point of crisis, when I'm going through something where fear is my response, I love being around people with faith. I love being around people that get it. I love being around people that have that kind of hope. You can form your own conclusions, but at this point in my life, I think hope plays a major role in how I respond to life's unpredictable script. I'd say it this way. I would suggest hope is really the only way we move from a fear response to a faith response. Hope that there's something more. Hope that someone is actually in control. Hope that this can be redeemed. 
The shepherds faced this. If you remember, they saw what the angel said to them in the field. They, they received hope when they saw what the angel said to them in the field was true. So after seeing that baby, they returned to the exact same circumstances they were in before they saw the angel. But this time, the shepherds were rejoicing and glorifying God. Why? They had hope. That was it. Nothing in their circumstances changed. They just had hope. Hope that God is good and God keeps his promise. Mary and Joseph with these real life issues, deal with these real life issues. They were real people, no halos. And something, something interrupts their ordinary. And they resolve to sort of trust that God is good. But you need to hear this. Once they got to the point of trusting that God was good, that didn't mean life got easier for them. It actually meant life became more difficult for them. And I'm so glad this is in the Bible. Actually, once the angel comes and they said, okay, we're going to ponder these things in our heart and all that, things actually get really jacked up for them. And I'm glad it's in there because I've been there. I, I, I try to be better. Have you tried this? You try to be better or you try to change your ways or try to change an attitude or, or behavior or perspective and then life hits you again. It's kind of like we're caught in this cosmic punching contest and I'm losing And Mary and Joseph get it, because following Jesus involves a lot of something that I I stink at. And it's it's waiting. Following Jesus for me and for you involves a lot of waiting. Because waiting is part of learning to trust. It's part of having hope. Waiting. So that's what I want to go after for you just a few minutes this morning. Waiting. Because this is a massive part of Christmas. Do you have any waiting going on in your life? So like if we took a moment and just sort of listed some things out, maybe just like the top three or five things you're waiting for something miraculous to happen. Waiting for God to show up. Waiting for God to provide. Waiting for God to heal or to repair or to mend. Waiting for the relationship to get better or the job to change or for a raise or promotion or for finances. Waiting for a kid to stop rebelling or waiting for your parents to to stop rebelling. Waiting is part of life. We wait. And we wait for God to answer a prayer. We wait for God to redeem a situation or to remove anxiety. Or we wait for God to allow us to not feel guilty anymore. Waiting for a baby. Maybe we're waiting for a mate, waiting for something good to happen. And waiting is a huge part of Christmas. Eight days after Jesus is born, Mary and Joseph take Jesus to the temple as part of the normal ritual, normal routine of the Jewish culture. She's headed there for a purification ritual, and Jesus is going to be circumcised according to Jewish tradition. So Mary and Joseph go to the temple, and there they meet this dude named Simeon. This is in Luke chapter 2, verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout, and he was for the consolation of Israel. I'll come back to that in a minute. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Now, if ever there's a waiting assignment, this is certainly it. Fair? So he's 
told by the Holy Spirit, because at that time, the Holy Spirit wasn't taking up residence in us like it does today, like he does today. The Holy Spirit would speak to individuals. And this particular individual, Simeon, had actually heard from the Holy Spirit, you're not going to die until you see the Messiah. So he's waiting. And this dude is old. He's getting really old. But he's been told. Now this consolation of Israel, let me just explain what that means. There are promises in the Old Testament, throughout the Old Testament, and they pointed to a day when God would send his promised one to strengthen Israel. And so everybody was waiting for this to happen. Everybody was waiting. This promise, hope in this promise, and it would bring comfort to Israel. Even when Israel was under oppression, even when Israel was being abused or Israel was in exile, they would wait because they knew that someday the promised one would come. They had this hope that someday things are going to get better for them. And you get this, right? Someday it's going to get better. It's like a kid waiting for dad or mom to show up at the, you know, because they dented the car or to show up at school because when mom and dad show up, things are going to get better. And all of Israel was waiting for that day, the day when things would get better. Simeon had been told by the Holy Spirit that he would see the day. And so Simeon is waiting because he believes God is good and God keeps his promise. Mary and Joseph take eight-day-old Jesus to the temple. And the Spirit of God prompted Simeon as soon as this young family stepped into the temple courts. And Simeon took Jesus in his arms and Simeon said these words over Jesus. Eight-day-old baby Jesus, Simeon speaks. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised. Ah, come on. God is good and he keeps his promise. Even though this one, you and I would say, what took you so long? He he kept his promise, huh? All the way back to Abraham. Honestly, all the way back to the first three chapters of Genesis. And God keeps his promise. You now dismiss your servant in peace, Simeon speaking. For my eyes have seen your salvation. You just want to slap your name in there. <laughs> Simeon saying, my eyes have seen Tom's salvation. <laughs> Hot dog. Okay, you. Which you have prepared in the sight of all people. Light for revelation to the Gentiles. In other words, he's reiterating this point right here. This isn't just going to be a Jewish thing. This is actually going to be for everybody. All y'all. It's the southern way. All y'all. <laughs> revelation to the Gentiles and for glory To your people, Israel. And this is a point we are all envious of. The point in time when the waiting pays off. That's what you really want. And that's what I want. I don't like waiting. Waiting's horrible. If anyone tells you waiting's a good thing, punch them. I mean, I don't know. I just don't don't believe that. that. Waiting is not fun for me. I don't enjoy it. Waiting pays off. The doubts are removed. The I told you so is exclaimed. I told you the Messiah was coming. I knew that Jesus would not leave us hanging, that God would not. But all the way back, you remember when he said to Adam and Eve, this is the moment. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years later, God is good. And God keeps his promise. This is that moment we sense when our prayers are answered as we long for them to be answered. It is a good day. 
It is a good moment. Hope is there. Waiting is finished. And everyone's excited. Let's do a parade. And this would be a great place to end the story. Because then we could all sort of walk out of here and think, you know, all we got to do is wait for a while. And then one day, it's going to be great up in here. This would be a great place to end, but it doesn't because God uses weird people. And God does weird things in weird circumstances that we wouldn't choose. Simeon then turns to Mary and Joseph in Scripture here. You can read this right for yourself. There's no break here where I broke it. And essentially shares good news and bad news. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, blessed Mary, Joseph, baby Jesus, and then said to Mary, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel. You think about this as a mama hearing these words. And to be a sign that we would be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and the sword will pierce your own soul too. Now, you can put the word also there. Now, this is mama hearing this. So Jesus is going to do some awesome things. Everybody's been waiting for him. But I got to tell you, you're going to get hurt in this too. Not just him. Interesting that he used the word, a sword will pierce, right? It's almost like he's talking about something in the future. I don't know. Let me break this down at the risk of oversimplifying what Simeon says. This is scripture. Now it's jumping out. It's just out of Tom's head. The road ahead is eventually going to be really good. But between now and then, it's going to be a rough road. Pause. What if that's true for you right now? What if it's true for me? What if it's true for what you're working on right now? This lesson right smack dab out of Christmas. The road ahead is going to be good. But right now... It's going to be a rough road. In fact, a day's coming when it will feel like you got stabbed in your very soul. That's essentially what Simeon just said to Mary. So let me just give a quick review of the characters of this broken halo series. <clears throat> Mary asked, how can this be? How'd this happen? <clears throat> the Joseph, this is a whole lot different than what I thought it would be, Lord. I hadn't planned on this scenario playing out. The shepherds were terrified and frankly thought God didn't care about us or maybe lost track of us. And then Simeon, this waiting business is a whole lot of work. Let me ask you something. Do you see yourself or your circumstances in this cast of Christmas characters? Look again. Come on. Get in this with me. Anybody out there wondering right now about something happened in their life? How in the world can this be? How about this? Lord, I know you're good. I know you keep your promises. But this is certainly not what I thought it would be. Huh? How about this one? We're terrified, and I basically didn't know that you even knew I existed. I'm tired of waiting. See, I think I see myself in a bit of all of them. 
And I don't think we're talking about the Christmas characters anymore. I think we're just talking about real people like you and like me trying to figure it out. Something out of the ordinary happens and our responses tend to be pretty similar. I've never seen this happen before. I certainly didn't expect this to happen. I've been trying to do the right thing. Sometimes I just feel like I'm on my own. I've been waiting, but things don't seem to be getting any better. Can you apply that butter to your bread? Can you find it? Because whatever that is, if you can do the hard work of figuring out how to apply that to your life, that's the very thing God wants to talk to us about. That thing. And it's why Christmas is so important. One of the reasons. It's why Christmas matters so much. Because we see ourselves. You know, when I was a kid, one of the things that drove me bonkers about the Christmas story, it actually intrigued me, but now I guess as an adult it drives me more bonkers, but there was this phrase that's repeated throughout the Christmas story, and, and it's this one, and this shall be a sign to you. Angels will fly, and rainbows will happen, and unicorn will run across the state, you know, all these, whatever there's going to be a sign for you. And as a kid, that really jumped in high gear for me. So I would always pray for signs. Anybody else with me on this? You ever done that before? It's like, Lord, if you're really real, then make it snow six feet tonight and cancel school. Wake up. <laughs> I knew you weren't real. You know, that kind of moment. You know, that's the kind of thing we pray about. Lord, if you're really real, get me a puppy for Christmas. <laughs> I knew you weren't real. That's a bird. You know, whatever it is, you know, we all have these things. And signs are important. And Mary and Joseph and the shepherds and the wise men all saw a sign. Lord, if you want me to be with this person, show me a sign. Simeon heard his sign. He said, he heard, you're going to see the Messiah. Signs matter. Look for this from God when you are afraid. Remember the sign. Shepherds, when you go running back to that pasture, don't forget the sign that you saw. Wise men, when you dropped off the gifts and head back, don't forget the star. That's your sign. Mary and Joseph, when it's going to be piercing in your side, don't forget the signs. Signs matter. Look for this from God when you're afraid or feel alone and wonder if you're going the right way or tired of waiting. Look for the sign. If you feel that God is no longer good, look for this sign. So have you? Have you ever asked God for a sign? Man, I have. I sense God moving me in a specific direction, but I want a sign to make sure. I'm discouraged in the leadership and the decisions I'm making or the way the church is going and ask for a sign. Is this still what I need to be doing? Or someone I love is feeling fearful or anxious, and I'll pray with fervor, Lord, give them a sign. Come on. Lord, give them a sign. Just let them know. Let them know they're with you. You're with them still. and Give them hope. And if I'm going to be really honest with you, and I really wanted to sort of amp the offerings up, 
I should say at this point in time, and I've received all kinds of signs. One time I asked for a car and a new car showed up in my drive. Never happened. In fact, let me be more honest. I've prayed for signs a lot and most of the time don't get one. Have I ever? Yeah, I think I have. But most of the time, when I pray for a sign, it's like crickets. <laughs> no signs. No rainbows. No unicorns. No Gamecock win. I mean, you know, all these different things I try to find. No sign. But I still pray for him. But I've come to the point now at this stage in my life, see if you agree with what I'm saying, I don't know. When I ask God for a sign, especially at Christmas time, it's almost like I forget God is the one in the manger. And instead I put myself in there. Hear me out on this and see if this, if I can connect this. It's like I'm giving God, the creator of the world, Jesus, hop out of that manger just a minute, will you? Just go on. I'm, I need a sign. So, you know, hop on out of here. And then you throw yourself in the manger and say, okay, God, I would love to have a sign. I want to be the center of all things here. I'm giving you this ultimatum. Give me a sign. Prove your love for me. No, Jesus, get out of there. Get, get. This is me. So, Lord, prove, to, prove that I'm not alone. Jesus. Now, I've worked really hard in this series to share that there are a great many similarities between the cast of Christmas characters and our lives. But there is one sharp, sharp distinction. There's one thing that separates us from Mary and Joseph, from the shepherds and the wise men, and of course from Simeon. See, everybody who lived before Jesus, their faith was based on one thing. God is good and eventually will keep his promise. That's how they lived their lives. Constantly waiting and believing that one day God would keep his promise. That was someday in the future. Not today, but someday soon. Mary, you're not going to understand today. Joseph, this isn't going to make any sense to you today. It's what Simeon said to Mary. You're not even going to get this, basically. But someday, this is going to be a good thing. Shepherd, you're going to go to the fields. But one day, and they're all waiting, and they're all anticipating, and they see the baby in the manger, and they had angels at the foot of their beds, and they had divine visitors in their dreams, and they had people travel from afar bearing gifts. There's this chapter in the Bible called Hebrews 11. You've probably heard of it. It's like the Hall of Faith chapter, it's called. And Moses and Abraham and David, Rahab, all the big guns are in that chapter. And yet they all believed, they all died believing that one day God will keep his promise. But not in their lives. And that's the perspective that separates us from them. Why? Because of the very thing we're just finished celebrating. You see, our faith is not in a sign that will happen. Our faith is in a sign 
already did happen. And we live in this era, in this time, when we know the Messiah came. And we know exactly how the Messiah came. Your children can tell you how Messiah came. Just as God said he would do. God is good and keeps his promise. And the people demanded from Jesus, what they say as an adult? Give us a sign. And Jesus told them something. And he told the same thing to us. He tells the same thing. A day is coming. A day is coming. And so they waited and they watched. And they watched Mary's heart get pierced as the side of her son was pierced on a cross. And they watched him die. And then they watched him get rolled into a grave. And three days later, he rose from the dead. And now we have a sign that God has already given to us that the cast of Christmas characters didn't have. And we're living in that age. For God so loved the world. Here's your sign that he gave. Manger, wise men, shepherds, dreams, angels. And if you just believe in that sign, the promised one, you have eternal life. Paul said it this way. He said, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, we're living in a sign that already happened. We are that people. We're that privileged generation. We're not praying for one that will. We're praying. We're living in that sign of what had already happened. This will be a sign. Sign for what? Well, it's a sign that I can take away any shame, any guilt, any condemnation. If you choose to keep it, that's on you. But I can forgive anything. I can take it away. And I can make you holy. I am good. I keep my promises. And I can get you through today's crisis and tomorrow's. Here's my sign. God is good and keeps his promise. And, and today, the church, we're this incredible, wonderful tension and fusion of all things God, if you will, where all of a sudden we're living in a sign Jesus came, and yet we find ourselves like Simeon, waiting. Waiting for what? We're waiting for a moment when God says, he'll come again. We're waiting for the moment when heaven stops and God says, today's the day. It's time. People have waited long enough. And all of heaven will be put into motion and Jesus will come again, this time not as a baby, but this time in victory, riding a victorious horse, so to speak. And as we wait for that day, and as we deal with the frustrations of life, the nuisances of life, the game changers of life, the fears brought about by this world, the weight of shame or guilt or the worries of uncertainty, the aches of pain, remember... We're people living in a promise. I'm going to send the Messiah and waiting with hope 
for the promise to come. That's who you are. That's who we are. It's this privileged point in history where a people living in a promise. In fact, it's such a big part of our culture. Churches will gather around and little kids will dress up and act this story out year after year after year after year. Because we know God is good and He's keep His promises. But when we're tired, when you feel lost, disoriented, remember you're a people of promise. You're living in the promise of what He's done. And yet we're also living in the promise of what's to come when Jesus comes back again. God must think quite highly of you people to call you as people of promise, to be as people of promise. How blessed are we. Jesus, thank you for your goodness to us. And Lord, I feel important as I think about us living in this almost parentheses of promises. And Lord, I look at Scripture, and you've been doing it since the very beginning. I'm going to make you a great nation, Abraham. Moses, you're going to set those people free. I'm going to send you a promised one. Jesus says you're going to tear the temple down. Three days, you're going to be rebuilt again. Nobody's ever tasted death and lived again. But you keep your promises. Day after day, moment after moment, year after year, decade after decade, century after century, God is good and keeps his promise. And in this very moment, in this very moment, people listening to the sound of my voice are people of promise. They have the promise, the privileged promise of knowing the Messiah came. Jesus, Savior of the world. And yet we're a people of hopeful promise. One day he'll come again. He'll come in victory and power and strength. I pray these words would encourage the hearts of my friends. In your name, amen.